Welcome to the Elijah Streams podcast. Our mission is to encourage you in your faith through a unique blend of patriotism and prophecy. And now here's your host, Steve Schultz. And happy Thursday, March 2 already. I can't believe it. Welcome to Elijah Streams. It's going to be a really special broadcast today with Laura Logan of 60 Minutes fame. We're not going to do a lot of preliminaries today because we want to do, we want to give her um, a short hour for her benefit to, she's got an appointment to make, so we're going to try and keep it to about 45 minutes if we can do that. And we're looking forward to this so much. Before we bring Laura on, let's bring in, uh, Elizabeth Endo is going to be doing the interviewing with me, so let's bring Elizabeth on here. Hello. Hello, hello. Good to see you. We're going to see you in person in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, we're finally going to fly out there, but uh, anyone who doesn't know Elizabeth is Johnny's wife. Uh, obviously, she's the better half. You know, the, as we say, we always marry up you know, to our wives. So he did too. Anyway, welcome, welcome, Elizabeth. This is going to be Thanks. fun. So uh, any last thoughts before we jump into this? No, I'm super excited about hearing from Laura. She's just someone that I just am so grateful that God has positioned her where she is. And her role in, in our generation is so critical to where we're headed with kingdom advancing. So good. So good. All right. Well, we're going to do this. We're going to introduce prophets and patriots. And on the heels of that, you're going to see a three-minute reel of the career uh, so far, or the sort of um, representative career of Laura Logan. Uh, that's amazing what she's done. Um, she, she's got to be older than she looks because she doesn't look old enough to do these things. But anyway, uh, without further delay, here's Prophets and Patriots, and then we'll bring Laura on. Here we go. There is nothing left. Any direction you walk, all you find is more destruction. Thousands of angry Somalis and heavily armed gunmen were locked in an intense battle with the Americans. We were caught in an ambush with his troops along the frontier. So it was a policy of total annihilation. Do you think they will attack you before you attack them? How many shipwrecks do you think are down there? You've been described as the, the greatest American rock band. Is that how you feel? Are you among the last people on earth to speak this language? And if you look at the U.S., what are you most worried about here? This is traditional Yakuza turf. They run everything here, from the girls, to the sex, to the drugs. Do you care if the species goes extinct? Does that oh, mean yes, you think I do. Why do you want to kill them? Derek and Beverly took us deep into the Delta to see the lions. What is it like to be charged by a lion? Is that what a mother chimp would do? No. <laughs> <laughs> Only Mama Jane. <laughs> Coney rules by fear and claims he has mystical powers a formidable combination in the minds of the children he kidnaps. You were part of an army mm. that taught children to kill, where young girls were raped. All these people were doing atrocities. Do it under constant instruction. Including you? Yes. The most obvious thing when you look at these walls is that it's all men up there as the past directors. And you went from zero to prime minister from... <laughs> In about eight years. So were you high? Were you using Oh, it yeah. Oh, I was. And that's why you felt... I was... <laughs> but the bed would be right there in the middle. Yeah. And you'd all sleep in one bed? We'd all sleep in one bed. Happy memories? The best. 
What happened to a lot of the other kids that were on the streets with you? Um, well, unfortunately, you know, a lot of my friends are either dead or in jail. What kind of soldier are you? I'm average. I'm mediocre. This is the single greatest honor that the military can bestow on its own. And it comes right from the President of the United States himself. That's pretty good for a mediocre soldier. Think how good the great soldiers are. Goodness, I have chills. My goodness, I already saw that reel, and and the second time is even better than the first. It's just crazy the the gifting that she has. I mean, it's a gifting. A call. I I'm one of those, maybe not so rare, that knows that those kind of giftings come straight from heaven. That is completely God breathed to give her the the combination of skills and speaking and presentation and yeah. storytelling and story writing and I'm I'm guessing you're pretty proud of your work. I am very proud of my work, actually. And it's funny when I see that video, um, so many, so many great memories. And um, but also I'm I'm I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but I'm also filled with a sense of how little that is of what I've actually done. (laughs) Because I started so much. um, I mean, I started more than a decade before that video even begins. And it's not all of my 60 minutes work. Um, and it doesn't have anything from uh, CBS News. It's just my 60 minute stories and uh, many years of newspaper reporting before that. So, wow. um, yeah, it's uh, but it's a great it's a great thing. And, you know, I remember every one of those people and every one of those moments very, so very good. well. You know, we were just talking before you came back on. There's a there's an anointing that you have that we both easily believe is a gift from heaven itself. That, that would give you the combination of skills and presentation and writing and editing and and calling the shots and setting the shots. I mean, that, that's a real gift from heaven. So kudos to you. Let me just uh, start with this question, Laura. You've been with 60 Minutes for years, and I used to watch you and follow you and loved all that. So kind of a combination question is I'm going to ask you, and one, here's two questions at the same time. One is, are those days gone when we can see journalism like that? And the second question mix it in there is that recently three or four months ago another network decided they weren't going to bring you on anymore and they made it public because they didn't like you were telling the truth about the border and child trafficking and what they were actually doing with children and and torture and abuse and uh they said that the thing said that you had you were they had taken you off because you had gotten into this rant so i went and looked it up that was no rant you were talking in the voice that you're talking about now and you were yeah. just stating things as fact. So what's your thoughts about all that? Well, it's kind of, uh, you know, I'm, it, I used to get emotional about it. It used to be very stressful to be canceled by somebody. But now it, it really doesn't bother me in the least. Um, mm. Not only am I used to it. I'm actually thinking of writing a book that's like how to succeed in reverse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, that's to start, to start out like at the top and then and and find your way to real success on your descent to the bottom, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, because really, what does that mean? It means that all the ways, all the pillars of recognition that we used to define ourselves and our society that defined what it was to be successful and to have made it 
were not really what we thought they were. I'm, I'm very proud of my work at 60 Minutes and there were some great people there, but I could no longer be part mm. of a broadcast, you know, that in good conscience um, doesn't do the kind of reporting that really matters today. So you can do a profile on Bill Gates, but you don't touch uh, the fact that he's being completely wrong about everything he said with regard to COVID and the vaccines. You don't go back and correct that reporting. Maybe they're working on something I don't know about. That's quite possible. But what makes me um, feel that they're not is that you'd have to apply that to the head of the Ford Foundation. You know, they did a similar sycophantic profile on him without asking a difficult question. They did the same thing with Yuval Noah Harari. They're reporting on Ron DeSantis. I mean, this was not the 60 Minutes of old. And they love to say about me, oh, she's not the same reporter that she was when she was at 60 Minutes. And it's not that I don't think that you still have great reporters at the show. What I think is that, um, what I know um, is that we live in a culture where people are so intimidated, right? Where people are bullied and uh, sanctioned into going along with the narrative. And where it's easier to just live in this bubble, right? It's a, it's not an easy bubble. It's not like nobody works hard. It's not like, um, you know, that there aren't challenges and, and real uh, issues and that life can't be very difficult. It's just that you live in this bubble where you can actually, you don't have to consider the view of millions of people um, because it's been pushed to the fringes of alt-right lunacy, right? So, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Like, January 6th, you know, I don't have to worry about the fact that there are uh, people in prison, political prisoners who are detained without trial, or I don't have to worry about the fact that the same people that we put on TV, Yuval Noah Harari is advocating for the genocide, right? The mass genocide of most of humanity because we'll become worthless eaters in the age of artificial intelligence. You know, I, I don't have to worry about asking the uncomfortable questions because in my world, in my bubble, I'm going to be rewarded if I just stay in the bubble, you know, and that's yeah. where, unfortunately, where we are. And that doesn't mean that people are not doing their best. It doesn't mean that they're not, you know, working really hard. Um, but it just means that they are not willing to go beyond that safe space. Where it used to be, didn't it used to be, Laura, that, any good journalist would try to get hard questions on both sides of every issue. Wasn't that what journalism used to be? Or maybe it never yeah. was. Maybe I was just blind to it. No, I don't want to idealize it, right, yeah. completely. Because it's easy to say, yes, that's what journalism used to be. But the truth is um, that journalism was always, uh, it always leaned left. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the truth of it. If you were on uh, if you were a conservative or if you were Christian, you know, decades ago, you stopped having a voice in the U.S. media. And um, and that wasn't my position. I didn't feel that way. That wasn't me personally. It wasn't that I wasn't Christian, but it was that my views pretty much aligned with the views of the people around me. You know, I, I didn't I thought that if you opposed Roe v. Wade, you were insane. Why would you do that? Why would you challenge a woman's right to choose, you know? Um, yeah. and, and that was as, as deep as the argument went for me. I didn't understand any other aspect of it. I didn't understand how very legitimate issues could be exploited. You know, for example, I grew up believing, yes, I'm going to fight for women and women's rights. I also believed that um, 
you should fight for all people's rights. I was never an activist, right? I was always a journalist. And I said this frequently. In fact, I, I said it when I was invited to do, you know, events that were held for women. You know, I said, I got to where I am, you know, uh, because I can do anything a man can do, sure, generally speaking, right? But I also got here because there were great men who recognized my strengths wow. and who supported me. I didn't get here just because I was a talented woman. I mean, let's be honest about it, right? And that was never a very popular message. But look where we are today, where women's rights, you know, are now, um, uh, they're completely obliterated in the face of trans rights and so on. And, and all these things, they don't tell me that I should hate trans people or that I shouldn't be supportive of trans people having rights. What it tells me is that those people who stood and fought for women's rights, who are now not fighting for women's rights, are hypocrites. And what does hypocrisy tell me? Well, hypocrisy tells me um, that they are, they're fundamentally morally bankrupt in their arguments that they made because they didn't stand up for them when it counted, right? It didn't right. just count when you're fighting against, you know, male chauvinism. It counts now. I mean, if you believe in the principle, right, that women should have the right to do whatever it is they want to do and right, they should have the same rights that men have, well, then you should also support the right of a woman to say, I want to stay home and yeah. look after my children. You should also support the right of a woman to say, you know, I believe my place is next to my husband. I mean, that may not be um, what I believe, but mm. the principle speaks for itself. And I learned this the hard way. You know, this applies to all principles, right? It applies right. to, say, the principle of if I don't support the death penalty. You can't come to me and say, well, if it was your child, you know, that was raped and murdered, would you then... Uh, support mm. the death penalty. Well, no, if I don't believe in the death penalty, I have to be willing to make that sacrifice and stand by the principle. And so, you know, what, what I find is if you, if you dig back, yes, it was a lot better um, in decades gone by. There was a lot more of an attempt to be honest and to look at both sides and to be fair. But, it does, but for a very, very long time, that bubble that we lived in has uh, always existed. It's just that it got smaller and smaller and smaller and it got more strongly defined. And then we went, we crossed the Rubicon because then we went to a place where the truth didn't matter anymore. And the views of millions of Americans didn't matter. They weren't legitimate. So therefore they didn't even have to be recognized. And then we went beyond where they didn't have to be recognized to where these people actually have no right to exist. Gee. And that's where we are now. So I feel like we've gone to such an extreme position. I will tell you that, you know, I worked alongside many great people and many great journalists who made a lot of sacrifices and we fought hard for what we believed in. But we didn't really understand that the reason we were championed and, and recognized wasn't just because we were doing great work. It was because we stayed within the narrative set okay, for us wow. by people more powerful. Amazing. Well, Elizabeth, um, what, what's your question for Laura? Yeah, Laura, I, I'm just, I've listened to enough of your interviews to kind of see maybe a glimpse of the story behind the story. And I'm always curious about, you know, people like you that are pioneering, you're on the front lines of what we as Christians are just so passionate about the truth, the truth coming out. And um, you've had to overcome so much personally and as well as 
all the things that you're talking about in the industry that you're in. Can you give us a little insight into kind of where your core values have developed from and maybe spiritually um, how how that's helped you to to stay the course of, of what you're so passionate about and good at? Well, the first thing that I think is the most important point to make for many people out there is that I am fully aware of the fact that life is hard for everyone mm. and, um, and not just for me. And that there are many people who have gone through uh, great struggles and come out the other end and still been able to triumph and live a powerful life. You know, I am far from the only one. And that doesn't, you know, you can recognize that and actually take a lot of strength from that without it ever having to take away anything from your own journey, you know, and your, your own struggle. So mm -hmm. I don't see that as uh, taking anything from me. In fact, if anything, it just adds uh, to what I'm able to do. And also very importantly, I want people to understand that it's not over, <laughs> you know? That's good. We have this idea, well, I've made it, you know? I survived breast cancer, therefore I've made it. I survived, you know, gang rape and gang sodomy and almost being beaten to death. And so I've made it. You know, it just doesn't work like that. And, and, you know, a lot of young people, we all have this idea that our great struggle ahead of us is how am I going to get to college? How am I going to get through college? How am I going to get a great job? How am I going to, you know, find the right person to marry and have kids and be able to pay my bills and, you know, and, and then I'll have made it. And nobody really talks about the fact that you can do all of that and you can still be at the beginning. Yeah. Wow. You know, that the real struggle in life, sometimes, sometimes you're a five-year-old child and you are faced with the real struggles of life. Sometimes you're, um, you know, in your thirties before it really hits you. Um, but everybody pays the piper in the end. As my mother would say, nobody gets off scot-free, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe your life has been easier up to this point. Maybe it doesn't seem as if your life has been difficult. Maybe it seems to you that your life has been much harder. All I can tell you is that there is no escape. In, in our lives, we all face failure. We all face, you know, make mistakes that we wish we hadn't made. We all experience regret. Some, you know, we're all going to experience loneliness to differing degrees. And what we need, you know, what really gives us the power and the strength is having those skills and understanding of what life means, right, in order to stay on our feet. Or if you get knocked off your feet, you know, to get back up on your feet. I mean, I got knocked down over and over and over again in Egypt, in Tahrir Square, um, by the mob that was uh, attacking me. Mm. And over and over again, I got back on my feet. But many years later, you know, I, um, I said to somebody, somebody said once, you know, good to see you back on your feet. And someone else said to me, you were never off your feet, Lara. And that was a very interesting statement because I thought, you know what, in a way, physically, yes, I was knocked down. But in many ways, um, spiritually, I've never been off my feet because I've always had some fundamentally important things in life. I have had the benefit of knowing that I was loved. Mm. Always, right? So it began with my parents, um, but now I have a real understanding that I am loved wow. by my father, God. Yeah. Um, 
and our creator, right? Now I have that sense of love. So knowing that even before my parents knew me and before my parents loved me, that God loved me. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Streams podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, go to ElijahStreams.com slash give. And that, you know, will sound strange to um, some people who have, who don't feel that or don't understand it or don't experience it. It'll sound strange to people in my family who have not heard me speak like that or maybe friends that I've had all my life. But if you want to know about my journey, part of my journey has been to understand uh, that the thing that kept me from really being close to God was that pain that I felt when I saw other people suffer. Yeah. The pain that I felt of knowing, you know, uh, that children were living on the streets around me, that they weren't loved or that they didn't know love, that they only knew pain or suffering or loneliness, that they didn't have the things that mitigate that for most of us. Well, that pain made me angry. Yeah. And I was angry at God for allowing that to happen. And I didn't see how it could be true that you could be a God of love or a God of mercy or, you know, a God that was all seeing and all knowing and allow these things to go on. Um, and I was told all my life that I needed to toughen up. And what I've realized now, just recently, actually, something very personal for me is that I, I believe now that that pain that I felt, that I still feel, Mm-hmm. God's pain, you know, that is that feeling. It's not just my pain. It doesn't just belong to me. If you want to understand, that's the pain that God feels wow. when we make, when we as humans make decisions yeah. um, that hurt others, right? So something I've uh, stumbled across in a story that I'm working on right now you know, is a, re- is a letter written a long time ago by someone who was describing a child that was being trafficked. And, um, and this was a person who was not involved in the case, but knew this child. And the description of what this child went through and what I know about what this child has gone through since as this child has grown up is really beyond anything that any of us want to hear, right? If you're, I mean, any normal person doesn't want to know that. You don't want to know it because it's, it's so unimaginable that you don't want to live with it. You don't want to live with that knowledge. It's painful and difficult yeah. to live with that knowledge. And so most of us just walk away from it and we reject it. I, have, I was born with an extraordinary capacity to embrace that, not to embrace it in the sense that I want uh, it to be part of my life or that I want it to be true. I want against I want with every fiber of my being for none of it to be true. Yeah. I don't want any of it to be real or to be happening, but it is. And so God has given me the strength and the capacity yeah. to, uh, to deal with that, to confront it and to deal with everything that needs to happen to try to mitigate that in any way. To I can't ever stop it. I can't erase it. I'm one person. But what can I do to empower as many people as possible to stop it, to stand up and say, no, I'm not okay with that? Well, what I can do is I can show the truth about what's happening. Yeah. And so I believe my capacity to cope with it and to live with it is really a reflection of God's yeah. Uh, capacity right yeah. these are the tools and the weapons and the life skills that we are given yeah. 
yeah. in order to cope. And, and if nothing else, the power of this child to grow up and fight for an education and fight for something of a normal life, that dwarfs anything I have ever done in my life. I don't say that to be self-deprecating or humble. I am telling you, if you had any understanding of what that child had been through, you would know with every fiber of your being the way I do, that I have done nothing compared to the struggle that that child has faced. Yeah. And so that doesn't make a perfect person at the end of it. It doesn't, um, it doesn't erase the scars and the open wounds um, that perhaps the child still carries. But what it does is it serves as a reminder to all of us how great the human spirit is. Yeah. And for me, if the human spirit is great, well, we know then that God is great yeah. because the human spirit is not created by machines. It's not ordered up in a test tube. It's not something that is constructed in a lab. They can say whatever they like, you know, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, the advisor to the World Economic Forum and, and Bill Gates and others who's written Sapiens and Homo and all the rest of it. These, the Homo Deus, these people want all of us to give up all faith and hope our faith in God and all and in all of our hope in humanity, that we can uh, be better than what they say and that what technology tells us. And they're wrong. Yeah. Um, they're wrong and they will always be wrong. And that doesn't make me right. This is a truth that's much bigger than me. I'm a small part of that. And I thank God that I'm part of that. Yeah. And I've learned to embrace the trials. So how do I feel when I'm canceled? I don't care mm. because the people canceling me are bad people Yeah, and they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Well said. And it's about them. It tells you about them. People mm. always look to me. What does it tell you about Laura Logan? Well, you know what you're missing when you do that is what it tells you about those people. And that's what, where you really have to focus because that's where the real struggle is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Laura. The uh, um, this is a pretty wake uh, awake audience. We've been at it for two two and a half years, but there's always new people joining, and some people who have not been brave enough to to allow themselves to learn about child trafficking, and including such things as well. The the thing that got you kicked off this one, you used the term about some of them are dining on your children's blood or children's blood. Well, what I is said that, is that yeah. they want us to uh, eat insects while they dine on the blood of children. Yes, wow. And that's yes, a good, and that was go a metaphor and... for what they are doing. Yeah. You know, if you look all across uh, the media, from USA Today to Politico to, you know, NBC, you can find stories that talk about how scientists are discovering that the blood of young people keeps um, us young right? Can help prevent this, can help prevent that, slow down aging and so on and so on. But um, what I'm amazed about is that these reporters are never curious enough to ask how much uh, young blood do you need? And, and how long do you need it for? Is it forever? Because can you imagine every person who doesn't want to get old using young blood to reverse aging? I mean, how long would it be before you were starting to look around you wondering if there were any children left? You know? Um, and why do we not ask, does it matter how young? Like if you're younger and younger and younger, are the effects greater, right? I mean, if you're a baby versus a toddler versus a teenager, does it matter? And where do they get the blood? 
of yeah. young people. Um, yeah. And sure, maybe they can uh, turn around and say, well, in this clinical trial, you know, we had uh, a, a deal with some a blood clinic or we had volunteers or whatever. But volunteers, um, what child knows to volunteer their blood for either a clinical trial or for something else? You know, I mean, so these are very legitimate questions that any journalist can and should be asking. And, you know, they've not been asked because when you read the articles, they never address these issues. They never answer the questions. So if you're not answering those questions or addressing those issues, it's reasonable to say that you probably didn't ask the question in the first place. And if you didn't, well, why didn't you? So we've come to accept things uncritically. You know, you get a press release as a journalist in a newsroom, a press release comes through from, you know, medical journal or the some science journal. And so some reporter writes it up, you know, and they take some quotes out of the press release. That happens a lot. But did you call the company? Did you, um, did you find out? Did you ask them something like, you know, what happens over time? Yeah. You know, time is one of the great indicators um, when it comes to uh, a lot of things, time, the, the effects of doing a diet short term versus doing it long term are different, right? And one may, time may reveal things about that diet or that drug that you didn't know at first. And I learned that from a, an honest scientist. I asked him once about his research into um, a starvation mimicking diet. And he got millions of dollars from the government to develop this diet. And it all looked great, right? Everything he prevent, presented to me was, uh, was very impressive. So I said to him, what's the weakness in your research and in what you're showing me here? And because he was honest and had integrity and moral courage, he said to me, time. We've done nothing. This is all short term. We have not been around. We haven't been doing this long enough to be able to tell you what it does over time. And maybe the results would be different and maybe it wouldn't be good for you over the long term. And so, you know, we know um, we know that there is a significant lack of interest in certain subjects. And, um, you know, for example, all those reporters that rushed to write stories about how the crazy Lara Logan is ranting and raving and now she's been canceled from Newsmax. Well, nobody questioned Newsmax when they said they severed their relationship with me over this comment. They didn't ask them what relationship. We oh, don't wow. see Lara Logan on your air. She's been, I, I think I'd been on uh, Eric Bowling's show twice. And that was, uh, if, I'm, if I'm remembering this right, that was the only time I've ever been on Newsmax. So what relationship do I actually have with Newsmax? I don't have a relationship with them, actually. Now, if they define a relationship as... When one of their shows wants me on air, they call me up and ask me if I'm available and, uh, and then put me on, on their air. Well, they didn't make it seem that way, did they? No. No, they made it sound like there was a formal relationship and they had seven ties. So why are they going, um, you know, bending over backwards to be so fundamentally misleading uh, or dishonest? You know, that's a question that you have to ask yourself. What is it and who is it they're so afraid of? And then maybe you'd want to ask, well, why didn't I even try to go to Newsmax when Fox um, canceled me, right? Because a lot of people said to me, oh, you know, Newsmax would love to have you or OAN or Real America's Voice or whatever. And um, there are reasons I didn't go and ask those, uh, those organizations for a job, you know? And, and maybe part of that is because I, in order to be uh, truly uncensored and to follow the truth wherever it takes me, it's just better for me to be independent and on my own. 
because now I, I can't be, well, I, I still get fired, even though I don't work for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And, and, and I, if, if, if anything at all, I am the living, breathing example to anybody out there who is afraid of being canceled or afraid of the repercussions of standing up for what they want. I am the living, breathing example. I can tell you that I am, I am getting really good at getting canceled. I actually kind of enjoy it. <laughs> That's good. Cancel culture. Elizabeth, what questions do you have? Uh, yeah, so uh, there's so many directions I could go, but we want to be sensitive to your time. What are maybe the top one, two, or three issues going on in our nation right now that that we need to know about, we need to have an understanding of? Well, the first is that we are in fifth generation warfare right now. And fifth generation warfare is defined as a war of narratives. And so if you start to, if you understand that information, misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, whatever you want to call it, is not just a weapon of war. It is the war itself. Oh, it wow. is the battlefield itself. Mm. And so it's not just that it's important. This really helps you understand cancel culture. Because what is cancel culture? When people stand up and tell the truth and say, I'm not going to go along with this false narrative, right? So if a, an African-American person stands up and says, hey, wait a minute, I'm a conservative and I don't hate all white people and I don't think all white people are racist. Oh, no, you're not allowed. Why? Because there's a narrative here. It's a false narrative. It's just based on one lie after another. But that narrative won't survive if uh, a whole lot of African-American people stand up and say it's a lie, right? And so all Trump supporters are white supremacists and racists. Okay, that's why you cannot admit that there are, are black people or Hispanic people or you know Asian people who support Donald Trump. Mm. And not only support him, but support him in great numbers. Yeah. So now when you want to understand, well, why does the media always paint Trump supporters this way? Well, it's because that narrative has to be protected, right? And so this will help you understand much more what's happening around you. It doesn't make sense that journalists who care enormously about, uh, say, you know, uh, the underdog, right? I mean, in journalism and at 60 Minutes, we did those stories all the time. So why would you not care about a 13-year-old girl who whose mother volunteered for clinical trials and is now in a wheelchair living on a breathing machine. That doesn't make sense, right? Well, it's because the false narrative that the vaccine doesn't injure people has to be protected. So journalists now are not fighting to protect the underdog or the truth or to tell honest stories. Now they're fighting to protect the narrative. And when you understand that, their behavior starts to make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's not just them. Why would people still come on television? Why would the CDC include the COVID vaccine as part of the child immunization schedule at this point? Right. You know, people are scratching their heads. Well, not only uh, does it harm children, not only is the vaccine or the defense countermeasure is actually what it is, because it was developed by the Department of Defense as a countermeasure to a bioweapon, which they also knew COVID was, right? So, so why would you conclude that in the immunization schedule for children in schools when you know, number one, you know children are not at risk from COVID. Number two, you know that this, the, this defense countermeasure they call a vaccine is harming more kids right. than COVID itself. You know, you can keep going on, right? I mean, once you understand the framework for where we are 
now, right? Then you start to understand why these false narratives um, exist and, and why all these other strange things are happening. It doesn't make sense that states could be saying, we're a sanctuary state for any child that wants to come here and, and transition. Wait a minute. Why would you say that that's a good idea? This child is going to be a slave to the medical establishment for the rest of their lives. How are they going to get through that without their parents, without their family, without their support structure? Well, they're not, right? I mean, and, and why are we doing that as, uh, as a nation? If I care about trans kids, then why don't I care about all the trans kids or the kids who think that they're trans but then decide that, you know, after they've been chemically castrated, that they don't want to do this anymore. They're quite happy being a boy. Mm -hmm. If you care about kids, if the narrative is you care about kids, then you've got to care about all kids. Right. Right. And so uh, I I just think this is one of the most fundamentally important things for people to understand. Also, because this brings me to the second thing, time. Time, we do not have time on our side at Mm. this point. You know, this is pretty far advanced. And if you care about liberty and freedom and justice for all and so on and so on and so on, then your time to fight for those things is is actually less every day. It is also um, a question of, of how do you fight it, right? What weapons do you have at your disposal? More than better than weapons, a better word is tools. What tools yeah. do you have at your disposal? Because as you lose your rights and freedoms, your ability to take on these powers becomes less and less and less. Mm. Your, your choices also become worse and worse. So it's kind of like, you know, at the beginning of a war, before you have troops on the ground, you have a number of options to stop that war and push for peace talks or resolution or whatever. Once you have troops on the ground, oh, now your options have changed, right? You can still end that war, but now your ability to change it is very different. Now, now imagine you've, you know, you've got, uh, you're so entrenched in this, it's grown to World War III. Mm. Now your ability to stop this war is much diminished. It requires a lot of things beyond your control. And uh, those, those people and players may or may not be willing. So what happens over time is our options get narrower and narrower, and they get worse and worse. They require more sacrifice, not less. So I would urge people to understand that this fight doesn't end with fifth generation warfare. Fifth generation warfare is only a step to sixth and seventh generation warfare. Imagine trying to fight misinformation and disinformation when your brain is now uploaded to a cloud. The same way your smartphone, the brain of your smartphone is uploaded to a cloud. That is where we're heading. If you look at transhumanism and artificial intelligence, they spell it out for you. Listen to what Ray Kurzweil, for example, he was one of the founders of Google. Ray Kurzweil does a TED talk and he talks at the World Economic Forum and other places. And he holds up his phone and he says, you know, right now our phone is the brain of the world, right? Through the internet, your phone connects to the brain of the world. Well, in future, our brains, just like our phones, will connect to the brain of the world. So you won't, you know, you won't have the inconvenience of having to go through your smartphone. You'll be able to upload your brain straight to the cloud and to the world. So now we'll be told 400 things, you know, that that will do that will make our lives better. 
You know, you can help people who are paralyzed, can walk again. You never have to worry about somebody believing something that isn't true and walking into, you know, a pizza restaurant and, and killing people or showing up at a baseball match and firing, right? There's all these things that are going to be so much better. You'll never, ever, you know what? You'll never have to worry about diabetes again because we will tell you what to eat. Help Elijah Streams continue to reach people around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Streams and the Elijah Streams podcast possible. Visit ElijahStreams.com slash give and become a partner today. This computer, this other brain, the brain of all the scientists in the world who know what's good for you, they'll tell you what to eat and how to live. You won't have to worry about, you know, somebody getting drunk and getting behind the wheel of a car because you won't actually be able to drive a car anymore. It won't be that driverless cars are an option. There'll be only driverless cars and you won't be able to board that car or that public transport system, whatever form it takes, because you will be, we will tell you what you can do and when you can do it. That's where we're headed, right? That's the equivalent of, you know, World War War Two, right? Where you couldn't end the war on your own. Your country could try to end it, but that didn't help. No, we're going to a place where we won't have the ability to make these decisions on our own. We're going, we're headed to a place where the individual's right and choice to say, I am going to give up my anonymity or I'm going to risk my job. I'm going to risk what people think about me and I'm going to stand up for what's right. That is going to be a distant memory. Wow. That will be a choice that you dream of, that you wished with everything in your body that you had made that choice when it was still an option. That is going to seem like the giving up everything you've ever had, giving up your 60 minutes career and, you know, all, all the awards you've been showered with and, you know, uh, all the things that people have, the recognition and the place in society and the comfortable life and so on and so on. You know, um, my retirement, I just want to retire peacefully. You're going to dream of being able to give those things up when you look at where we're headed. And this is not based on conspiracy. It's not based on things that I'm making up. Go and listen to Ray Kurzweil tell you that your cell phone will no longer be separate from your body. Listen to Yuval Noah Harari tell you that the age of COVID was ushering in the age of mass surveillance, getting people used to the idea that we'll be 20, surveilled 24 seven and that their ability to surveil us will be under our skins, parts of our body. If you think that's conspiracy, ask anyone out there if their dog is chipped. You know yeah. the answer. Any pet that people have that they can chip, they've already done it. How did the vet do it? With a syringe, what form was it? Liquid. Why would that not be something you could put inside a human being? Come on, people. Yeah. So, Do I worry about being canceled? Do I worry about what people write about me? No, what I worry about is that my children are going to be forced to have a chip put in them and to be surveilled 24-7, and they're not going to have the choice of worshiping or not worshiping God because they're going to live in a world where God is not allowed. And your babies are not born to them. Their babies are not born to them. They're not allowed to call themselves mothers and husband and wife. Those terms are banned because your baby is ordered in a test tube and born in a pod. And they try to take creation out of it. So I don't worry about any of that because the real fight here is against humanity because humanity is the living, breathing 
representation of God on earth. That's right. So good, Laura. I mean, it's good that we hear it. It's good that we know it. Uh, it's not good news, of course, you know, but Laura, I appreciate it. I'd like to have you back some other times because it's very, very waking up ish, if it can be put it that way. Laura, That's how would you <laughs> how to tell people how to Wait, get a hold of is not a word. Yes, spoken to a two journalist uh, and editor. Uh, how would you tell people to get a hold of you or your your websites or, or your show that you're on or whatever? Go ahead and tell so, people. So I am working on some projects that will be on Sovereign Media, S-O-V-R-E-N. Sovereign Media, I've got a, a number of projects there. I'm uh, doing stuff on Truth Social and Twitter. And I was off Twitter for a long time because I took myself off. I was not canceled. I uh, withdrew from Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Um, mostly, I would say 95%, 100% for some. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's difficult to separate completely. Um, and I did that because those platforms traffic in children. Um, but with Elon Musk back at Twitter and changing uh, the, the nature of uh, this, that space and um, with what they are doing, what he has done to go after traffickers on Twitter, that specifically is why I went back to Twitter. But of course, locals is where um, you'll be able to find everything that I do. And uh, locals, I think, is a great platform, but not everybody is on there. Um, and you have to you have to find it and download it, but it's really not hard. And I think that locals is only growing; it's getting uh, bigger and bigger. And uh, that's a really important place if you want to see everything that I'm doing. But LaraLogan.com will be up and running soon, and so my work that will be on Sovereign, my work will be on my website, will be on locals, and um, I have a bunch of projects that I'm working on still. Um, Still looking forward to doing the show that I have on Fox Nation. Laura Logan has no agenda. Looking forward to doing that on my own. And the first season of that show, the four investigative hours, will be on child trafficking. Wow. Wow. we got to have you back, Laura. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. We're going to uh, respect your time. And, uh, Would it be okay if I just quickly pray over Laura? Go okay? for it. Yeah. yeah I know we've got a lot of people on here that just would love to surround you and so, Father, we just thank you yeah. for the gift that Laura is to our yes, generation Lord. and her family. And we just declare your protection over her and them, body, mind, spirit. God, I ask that you would just increase everything that she needs to stay on the front lines of what you've called and created her to do. We ask yeah. God for just supernatural funding that's even faster than she thinks could be possible yes, Lord. for the projects that you've put in her heart. And God, we ask that you would just... Um, wake us up we give yeah. you permission to wake us up show us our our places in the battle and we thank you for the privilege of of being your representation on earth right. and we ask right. that you would help us to steward that we ask that you would help laura to continue to steward her yeah. part in that in jesus name we pray and we bless you laura thank yeah. you Amen. 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 Thank you, All right, Laura, God bless you. Thanks for coming Thank on. We appreciate it. Hope to see you again soon. And so everybody much. have a great Thank day. Uh, Johnny Enlo will be on tomorrow, which is, of course, Elizabeth's husband. He's pretty much the top as, as far as the viewership of what we get. So we need uh, Johnny <laughs> back on, on tomorrow. So everybody have a great day. Laura, have a great day. And we will Thank see you, you so all much. later. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
This has been Elijah Streams. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can listen to the Elijah Streams podcast at ElijahStreams.com on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Join us live every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific time at ElijahStreams.com on Rumble and Facebook. Elijah Streams is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahStreams.com slash give to become a partner today.